Uh, I've decided to make up for it by leaving earlier. It's, you can all thank Marissa for that. Okay, let's get let's get started uh, because this morning we have a, a very interesting interesting entrepreneurial idea. I'm not sure in my own mind that Hamilton started out to be a social entrepreneur, but certainly what he does it qualifies because it says takes care of the environment and, and is a very productive kind of thing. Hamilton got his his MBA through the EMBA program here at William & Mary, and uh, he, so he's been out since about 14, I guess. That's right. But he is living his dream, and he's doing the things that he wants to do. And remarkably, he's doing it, uh, I would say, by on a shoestring so far. That's right. He's not taking any real capital, and you know he's still got control, and he's got, he's got some tremendous ideas. He's going to tell you about that today, and of course show you his products, and it, and of course afterwards, they'll be on sale out in the lobby. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton Perkins. Thank, Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Um, I'm Hamilton Perkins. I'm the founder of Hamilton Perkins Collection. Uh, we make bags out of recycled plastic uh, and upcycled billboards. Um, so welcome to the very first mile of the supply chain. This is the True TA landfill. We partner with an organization called Thread International. We source plastic out of some of the poorest countries and turn them into affordable bags. So this is the upcycled billboard piece. So plastic bottles on the outside, billboard vinyl on the inside. This is up in uh, Norfolk, this is our showroom. This is one billboard vinyl that we're basically rolling uh, and preparing for a pallet uh, shipment. This is hundreds of pounds of billboards that are shrink-wrapped and uh, headed to Haiti. And that's where we actually source the plastic. Uh, we're starting now to source billboards from Haiti, and we cut and sew our products in Haiti as well. This is the factory. This is where we actually cut and sew. Um, I recently just got back from Haiti about two weeks ago and uh, was able to you know, walk the factory floor. Uh, I was able to go to the landfill as well and meet some of the families that are uh, being supported by the operations there. And I'll kind of get into the process uh, of how it actually works in a little bit. That's one of our bags being sewn. You can see it's kind of coming off the you know, final uh, you know, process to get born at this point. Um, each bag is made with a billboard, so everyone's different on the inside. So that's just kind of showing you that process. So bottles to bags. Bottles to bags is basically what we're working on. Um, it started with a personal need. I was an MBA student, so I was here uh, looking for a bag I could be excited about, and I really couldn't find it. So I looked online. Uh, looked in department stores, didn't seem to find it. So I decided I'd make it. I pre-sold it to about half the class at the time. Uh, it was a subject of uh, an accounting class for a while, uh, Professor Geary. <laughs> so uh, after that, uh, ran a crowdfunding campaign. We had a $10,000 goal. We hit the goal in about a week. Uh, had a six-month lead time. Basically ended up with six months on our hands, so we went to Richmond, we competed for the Virginia Velocity Tour. Uh, we won a $25,000 grant from the governor of the Commonwealth, um, 
came uh, to came back to Virginia, shipped out all the products. But before we did that, we hosted a trunk show at Bloomingdale's in New York. So we hosted uh, three trunk shows a day. Uh, but we've done the 59th Street store, the Soho store. Shortly after that, we turned our website on. So we we knew we wanted to have an e-commerce experience. We want uh, people to kind of you know get to know the brand on their own time. We know time's important. Um, so the problem is people want a good bag. They want something that's cool, fun, unique, and it's also ethical. Like now, it's not really an excuse to just say, okay, we'll make it faster, cheaper, uh, and that's the end of the story. Uh, you know, there's been you know lots of situations where uh, pressures from factories have really uh, you know just grown, and over time you'll see like it's really not doing good for people. And the internet's only kind of exacerbating like how we sort of think about that and how we look at that. So the idea was, can we make a new product, a better bag, and have an ethical process that goes along with it? So it's a big market, you know, billions of dollars, billions of plastic bottles being thrown away every year, tens of thousands of billboards going into service every year. So we figured that from an addressable market, we could really corner at least a billion dollars of uh, active spend online. E-commerce is still growing, hundreds of billions of dollars now, trillions in 10 years. And at the end of the day, when there's a social mission, 80% of online shoppers are a little bit more uh, inspired to support a company that actually has a social mission. So this is just to kind of break down the business model. We have four main styles that we started with. Uh, this is our earth bag. We call it earth bag light. So it's made from recycled plastic bottles on the outside of it. The inside of it's made from billboards like you'd see on the freeway or downtown. And then we do shirts. So shirts are new for us. We're making them out of recycled plastic as well. Um, and then they're also made from reclaimed cotton. So uh, normal shirt, 97% cotton. These are 50% cotton, 50% plastic. So it's still uh, less water. And then at the same time, it supports dignified income opportunities. This is a little breakdown of the competition. Um, you know, we fall in the affordable plane and then we're online. You know, we feel like it basically lends itself well to our story to sell direct, uh, cut out the middleman, uh, essentially create a relationship with our customer uh, and really be able to, uh, you know, create emotion. You know, we don't necessarily, you know, we're not like a commodity, uh, so we're not necessarily on like the Amazon side of the spectrum where, um, you know, things are, you know, faster, quicker, cheaper. Uh, we're on the other side, we're kind of more on the emotional side, so, you know, we want to play to our strengths. So marketing strategy, um, you know, we're really using word of mouth. At the end of the day, um, we've tried to make a product that was worth talking about, and we've gotten a lot of press uh, around it. And a lot of that's been uh, organic. So uh, during Kickstarter, you know, we basically did blogger outreach and reached out to bloggers, uh, you know, ethical writers, uh, people that were in traditional media, and just, you know, tried to tell the story to them and see if, you know, if it would resonate. And, you know, luckily for us, it did. So we've been in Fast Company, Washington Post, Money Magazine, Forbes, New York Times, and I'm also now a contributing blogger for the Huffington Post. 
Um, I actually reached out and uh, uh, you know actually got Ariana Huffington to you know get me signed up with uh, you know my contributing blog, which was really cool. Uh, this is me in Bloomingdale's and in Soho, their Soho location. Um, you know, just we're a small team at this point. We have about four employees. Um, you know, we started with a crowdfunding campaign. We've got a great advisor uh, with Bear and, and also with Mike. Um, you know, I met Mike here through the program. He's uh, an executive partner. Uh, you know, retail and marketing background, and then Bear Barnes, who uh, had worked with Tom Shoes. Uh, you know, really uh, knowledgeable about um, you know the social entrepreneurship space and just. Uh, entrepreneurship in general. How many of you are familiar with Tom Shoes? It's an interesting company that gives us, well, tell them what it does. 100 million shoes sold to date. For every shoe they sell, they give one to someone in need. Um, you know, really uh, a pioneer in our world. Um, I, I'm probably leaving a whole lot of good stuff out, but that's... I mean, that's <laughs> what they need to know because it is, you know, it's, it's something that we take for granted every day, and yet a lot of people in the world don't have shoes, and Tom's has taken that on to, uh, as, a, as a cause, and it's a major contributor to, uh, to some of the economies. And I'll kind of start passing these around just so you can get a chance to see and, and feel that there's no lack of quality in the product, even though it's a recycled product. It's made from something old, but now it's a new product. And that's pretty much our biggest uh, thing that we have to like overcome as a company or as a brand positioning is you know, how do we get the customer to understand that this is a good product and it's the same quality that you would find. It's just doing a lot more in terms of its impact. So, um, you know, in short, things are happening. Uh, we've got thirty thousand in crowdfunding revenues uh, to to launch. You know, we doubled our initial ten thousand dollar goal in six days. Uh, we have a $25,000 grant uh, from winning the Virginia Velocity Tour. We've got three trunk shows that we've hosted at Bloomingdale's. Uh, 17,472 bottles impacted and 12 income opportunities created in Haiti this year. Uh, four employees, uh, 3,000 Instagram followers, about 136,000 in uh, seed capital from kind of holding the hat out, friends and family. and. Um, so that really is just like the speaking part. I just, you know, we'll pretty much open it up for any Q&A, any questions, uh, any conversation that you guys have. I'd love to, uh, love to chat. I'll start passing these around on the other side. Odd question again. Um, so a lot of people, when they're obviously doing their products, are trying to get a name that's catchy, something that's going to be a high search volume. What made you choose Hamilton Perkins as kind of like your line? Was it being in the design world? Yeah, no, I think for me, I, I really was, in the beginning, I didn't really have a name. Like I, so in college, like undergrad, I, I ran a blog, and it was called The Luxury Pursuit. And it was like, I'd take Hermes bags or like Toomey luggage, whatever, and I'd like curate it and try to offer it to followers. But like, you know, I, I think the theme for me was, I wanted to build a lifestyle brand um, I wanted something that was definitely unique that wasn't going to be out there and um, at the same time, you know, there was, you know, this decision that I had to make, was I going to go with something that was more commodity and that was, you know, 
naming it anything basically, or I could name it something that you know basically meant something and would stand out in the long run. And um, you know, the collection part of it just that to me was like the collection of all the ideas that I've always had because I worked in retail, worked in entrepreneurship. Uh, basically, you know, I started out I was. I had a locker decoration business. I sold uh, advertisements from magazines to classmates, and you know, moved into having my own eBay store. You know, I worked in all the boutiques and I did trade shows. Uh, you know, interior design. So I felt like I was collecting a lot of experience, and you know, I'm just like, you know, now it's time to actually form the name and you know, move on with it. So I named it Hamilton Perkins Collection. Sure. When you say you yeah, no, that's a great question. So it's basically two full-timers and we have two interns. So I'm in charge of growth and marketing, uh, sales, business development, <coughs> anything to do with top line. And then my wife is actually doing operations, production, so buying zippers, you know, buying fabric, uh, you know, reminding me to go and, you know, get some more uh, billboard vinyl. like. And then we have interns that basically are supporting. So we have an intern in-house, or I'm sorry, in town here that she's basically doing media and partnerships. So she's helping create more relationships with more bloggers, more Instagrammers, uh, more people that you know we can possibly activate. And then at the same time, we have an intern, uh, and she's ODU. Um, we have an intern from UC Berkeley, and he's our impact intern. So he's basically helping uh, kind of, you know, blend operations and marketing. So he'll get me featured on podcasts, or he'll help me get a speaking opportunity. Or uh, he's coming in in town uh, end of July, so he'll be with us in person. Um, and he's been really great as well. So you know, really lean team, really small. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, I I know like there's co competitors that have like a hundred people working for them, which is great. You know, but right now. You know, we're, we're good with the four that we have. Say that one more time. Yeah, so with billions of plastic bottles being thrown away every year in the developed world, um, it's a big opportunity. I mean, you can see like the gap between like just what we've done kind of this year versus like what's actually happening. So. There's a lot of opportunity, a lot of upside. The shopper is now looking for uh, a product that's more unique, something that's gonna make them stand out, something that at the end of the day will give them a better story. So, you know, as far as, far as like sustainability, um, you know, we're a certified B Corporation. Uh, we have some exciting stuff to announce about our certification in the fall. Um, you know, we're actively looking to increase our uh, kind of impact, so partnering with organizations like the Ethical Fashion Coalition, just to get uh, you know a little bit more insight and uh, depth into what's happening along uh, the way of our supply chain, and um, you know I'm I'm all in. I don't see myself doing anything else uh, in the next ten years, or this is what I want to be doing. So you know I, <coughs> I give us a, a high a high mark on uh, like long term sort of, uh, you know, sustainability. And I think we're early, too, I'll add that. Are you from Haiti? No, I'm not from Haiti. But um, I, I do think that we're early in terms of, like, 
the concept and the idea. I think the consumer still is in, they're still looking for like style, quality, design, and then price. Like that's still the number one thing, but I think we're getting to a point where social impact is also, it's starting to, to become more uh, prevalent, but it's early. So I think as you can, like now there's more and more brands, because I can, even just a year ago, like I can remember, you know, if I told someone what I was up to, they'd say, well, have you heard of this one company? Or have you heard of this other company? You know, now it's like, well, have you heard of these companies? You know, so I think that the market's expanding, which is making the whole, uh, you know, the industry's getting bigger that way. And, um, you know, I, I can see, you know, our impact really uh, expanding from where we are. We were recently, uh, we were recently hosted by the Clinton Foundation in Haiti, where we were able to uh, basically go through and meet uh, basically about 14 businesses in the artisanal, fashion, and agriculture sectors. Um, and just, you know, of those 14 businesses, we were already doing business with like two of them. So, you know, we, we already were doing work there, but we're gonna be doing even more now. And, um, you know, I just see a lot of opportunity uh, for us to continue to collaborate. There's, there's other brands in Haiti that we're gonna be, you know, announcing some stuff with as well. Um, and even just like sourcing vinyls. Like for example, we a lot of the vinyls that we've used have been US vinyls, you know, but we've now started to get vinyls out of Haiti which have been um, you know, those actually sell out like we don't have any right now. They're 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 gone. So you know, I think we I think we have a lot of upside from uh, you know, operations to just like the consumer inside of like how people are actually shopping today, I think that we're I think we're good. Why Haiti? So I partnered with Thread in the early days. Um, you know, I've always had a diverse kind of set of friends, and you know, I've always like kind of known, but didn't really know exactly what was going on, and you know, just discovered this organization Thread that was you know already doing work after the earthquake and um, had set up you know. Nonprofits to help kind of provide training opportunities and uh, you know education opportunities uh, to get jobs, and um, you know I felt like it seemed as if it was one of the places that we could have one of the biggest impacts. Uh, my career has really been where can I make the most impact? Where can I you know potentially help the most? And you know when it comes to creating income opportunities and jobs, I felt like. You know, they were doing great work already. We had the core value system already in place, and you know, it was just a good fit. You know, they, they were a startup, still a startup. You know, growing, we're growing, we're a startup. Uh, everything's aligned versus, you know, go and, and proximity too. You know, I mean, we can go there. Um, I mean, it's about a six-hour flight from here, um, three hours from New York, but. You know, all in, you're looking at six, seven hours to get there. Um, we could have gone, you know, to other places and, you know, still have other pilot countries. Honduras is a country, uh, and then there's some that are uh, out, out east. So, you know, we'll get there, but, um, you know, I just think that you have to take a kind of a, a radical approach if you're going to do something that's going to make a difference. So, that's how we got to Haiti.
Yeah, so as far as quantifying the impact, we look at it across uh, things like plastic, uh, things like carbon emission from transportation, uh, water uh, consumption, uh, direct revenues, uh, and then the actual jobs, like the actual income opportunities. So um, we're still young, so we're still kind of figuring out like the best way, like should it be a, like a counter on the website that every time a sale goes through it like actually calculates it and then like spits out a number or uh, should it be something that is kind of like in our impact report you know when we publish that as a B Corporation because we're we're a B Corp so we're, we're gonna actually publish a report with all of our like findings um, as far as uh, you know the recent hurricane yes we were in business, uh, but we were just getting kind of online, and we still are really just getting online. Fortunately, um, a lot of our uh, you know partners were, were not impacted. The other interesting thing from the trip recently was uh, you kind of would really wouldn't tell, you couldn't tell if there had been like an earthquake or that there had been the hurricane recently, just like the amount of like resilience of cleaning up and just like actually making things happen. Like, I mean, I, I was really, uh, you know, I mean, it's just impressive. So, you know, I think it's gonna get, you know, that's why we're, you know, for building out the team, you know, we do have an impact intern and, you know, I know he's itching to really get his hands into uh, a lot of our kind of social impact numbers and, you know, it'll really help us, you know, kind of publish some of that. And uh, it's coming, you know, we, we still have, kind of like all hands on deck and just like the core areas of we need to actually have the thing that we sell first and like really have that kind of in a place where it's, you know, it's complete. And then after that, you know, we'll be able to really look at it and say, okay, you know, we were able to impact this many, you know, families uh, or, you know, we may discover it through the work that we do, you know, so, by partnering with Thread, we were able to, you know, learn uh, about the families at the landfill. So it's, you know, about 400 families that uh, are supported by this landfill that come from, you know, all over the island. They come there, they get a job, and, you know, from there they can even make their own collection center. Um, I was able to, you know, so I met the, you know, the field manager for Thread in person. He was able to talk me through excuse me, some of the success stories, you know, some that are quantifiable and some that, you know, are more qualified, you know, they're not quantifiable. So he would tell me, you know, look, like I've seen people come in here and they have, you know, they, they originally came with nothing and now they're able to sell plastic and then they can go and buy suit. And that's a big deal. So, you know, you have that going on and, you know, at the same time, uh, each time we're able to work with our factory in a bigger way and like order more bags, now you're talking about more training opportunities. So, uh, for example, you know, if there's a new opportunity, like a job, you know, there's a thousand people that are gonna show up at the factory to, you know, get that job. So, um, it's gonna take time, you know, like nothing can happen in a day, but, you know, I think 
taking an active role and like finding out what you can do, I think that that goes a long way. Um, I, excuse me, first of all, I apologize for coming in a little bit. I probably missed this. You may have talked about this accident. Oh, no worries. <laughs> a little bit. When, um, how do you acquire your, your plastic? And if it's from like landfills and that kind of thing, it, do they charge you for those? You know, because if it's trash, I guess I'm just curious, and you're already just taking your, and you're using them for your bags. Is there a charge? Do they then charge you for the removal of those? Yeah, so, so the whole thing starts out in that very first picture that I showed you. Mm -hmm. From there, it's sold to a collection center owner. A collection center owner will turn it over to a recycling facility in Haiti. The recycling facility will crush and bale it into basically a raw form where it can be turned into a yarn, a fiber, a textile. All that process is done in the United States. Designers and brands can buy that fabric and then in our case, we combine it with the billboard vinyl. And I meant to pass this around, so I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you asked about that. Um, but from there, we actually ship everything down to Haiti, and it's actually cut and sewn there as well. So you'll see the fabric, and then that's the actual billboards that we source. And we don't pay for uh, the billboard vinyl at this point. The plastic, we do. So at the end of the day, it's, uh, you have to kind of make a decision on, you know, what are you going to make and how are you going to make it? And, you know, we want it to really have a lot of transparency into like how we're doing it. And, uh, you know, the way we're working with Thread and the way we work with our agency partners is really, it's helped us uh, basically make a more clear picture for the end customer. Can I ask one more question? Um, yeah. With the billboard vinyl, is that like the uh, old vinyl before they've gone to dig digital that you guys are using for this? Uh, is that what it is? Yeah, it's a billboard like you'd see on, on a the, street on the, on the or in a downtown area. So, you know, now that most of them are doing digital, they're not, so, yeah. so that wouldn't impact you guys. Tens of thousands of old school vinyls still go up every year. <laughs> There's hundreds right of thousands that are in service. Well, now, we peaked good. in the 90s, we were in five to 600,000 like in America alone, but now, I mean, it's dipped to like high threes, low fours, but first of the year, the inventory, you can't keep enough of it because, right. you know, good. the industry's still been growing double digits year over year, you know, basically since the 90s. So, um, no shortage of, of vinyls. Uh, print shops still, you know, use mm -hmm. uh, printing for conferences and hotels and, I mean, you name it, it can be made. Um, so. Well, that's good. Okay. <laughs> I'm just curious. Is the factory space that we saw a picture of, was that, is that built by you or did you lease that? I'm just curious how you. Yeah, so we're currently contracting with that factory, but we are, you know, definitely thinking how can we grow? How can we kind of own the process? It's super expensive, um, but we have, you know, again, like aligned with, you know, a factory that has been around now for about four years, I believe, and you know started with about 20 folks, and you know now they're closer to 100. They're expanding again, and you know each time we can kind of create a, a purchase order, like you know it's a real impact right then and there, and um, you know it's just been one of those things that um, the factory concept. I think if you look at some of the other brands, contemporary brands, I mean it, it's a it's a big responsibility to say. Know, we're going to own this factory and we're going to 
do it here or we're going to do it in-house or, or what have you. But, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, as time kind of progresses and as we start to really, like, find new customers and really see, like, the demand, you know, everything is possible when, you know, you're starting to look at the Internet and, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, the sewing machines and, you know, the new technology. I mean, this factory has, like, top technology in it. And, um, you know, it, it's exciting to, to see it. So we contract with that factory. Um, you know, we started with a really small line uh, of machines there. And, you know, now we're basically moving. Uh, that's going to get bigger. So if everything goes well, I'll be back down there next month to really kind of see exactly how many um, machines it's going to take for our next uh for our next order, but um, you know, this will be like the first year that we basically are producing uh, numbers in the thousands. So, yeah, yeah. You, you never know. They're all different. Each one's got a different. <laughs> That's a great question too. Um, so I'm a Norfolk, Virginia Beach native. That's where I grew up, and you know I've moved away. I lived in D.C. for a short period. Um, I think for us, there's been really good reception from the business community um, that has really supported a lot of our efforts. I think um, I, I, it's home. I think that there is a sense of pride around. Uh, the companies that are that are there, there's a lot of exciting things happening in Norfolk. Um, you know, the development arm of you know the city is, I mean, really invested heavily in you know what's going on there, and I think that um, that's an exciting thing for us. Um, I know we'll have presences in other areas, you know, showrooms. You know, I think I came back from Haiti thinking, you know, a showroom of of some type in Haiti would be really awesome know seeing some of the other brands that do that and uh, even in you know California New York I mean we warm states are really good for us um, had some orders coming in from Germany last night I mean you you can really like do anything anywhere now too which is the other like force with the internet um, it used to be there was a fashion show and then the designer and the buyer would meet at the fashion show. And the customer did not go to the fashion show. It was just business to business, and then the press was there. So you had to really be in a place where you could easily get parts, you could easily get accessories, you could easily get, excuse me, uh, you know, contract sewers um, to actually, like, you know, survive. But now, you know, I mean, look, everybody's hacking Instagram. Like, you can live in, you know, space, you know, and, and have a business now. Like, so, you know, marketplaces are fundamentally broken. If you really think about what's happening in brick and mortar retail and just, I mean, 
mean, more bankruptcies, I believe, in you know first half of the year than all of last year. Um, you're able to, I mean, but then, you know, like I said, so then instead of selling through a typical marketplace or pop-up, you know, people would rather hack Instagram and sell through Instagram or Snapchat. So I think with just modern tech, um, we're still a ways away, but, you know, virtual reality is going to be a, a factor where, you know, you don't even have to, you know, leave, like you'll just live in a virtual reality environment. And I know that's 20, 30 or more years away, maybe, but, you know, it's definitely something that, you know, we want to try to be on the front end of like a lot of that. And, uh, you know, I think that Norfolk's home, you know, I think uh, California is, you know, exciting place for us in terms of, you know, having some advisors there, having, you know, customers there. So we'll just have to see what happens for the next steps. Uh, two questions. First, uh, what is the cost to make a bag and what are you selling it for? Yeah, so the costs are all in around 30. Yeah. Retail them at 95. So it's about a 68% margin. So, you know, if you think about like industry, that's about, about where it is. You know, it, some are paying a little more, some are paying a little less, but for the most part, we're right in, uh, in a sweet spot. And we did not start there. We started really expensive, you know, at almost at cost to make it. So, um, you know, the philosophy, I guess, is you can always go back and make business decisions and focus on profitability, but you can focus on top line first and, you know, give yourself that opportunity to even go back and do that. Because once you're starting to do too much that, then you, now you're not growing anymore. You're not thinking about growth anymore. So, and, and then that opens up a different uh, skill set. So that's the online price. Indie, are you wholesaling to them? Yeah. We're direct to consumer. Okay. My second question is, when push comes to shove, are you a bag company or are you an economic development social mission? We're, we're, we're bags. Okay. Yeah, we're bags. Because it doesn't work for us to be the economic development organization. Let, let me qualify that a little bit, because we did talk the last time a little bit about all the different impacts that you have with the social uh, enterprise. And you know, it just so happens that this has a, a very favorable impact where he, you know, on the economic development of Haiti, where he's, he's looking at this. And it can, and depending on where he goes with that, that can, it can contribute greatly. two very incredible you know, social shirt 
someone might be comfortable paying $120 for a Kanye West t-shirt, and then someone might be comfortable paying $25 for an HBC t-shirt. It, it is all subjective and you know, how the art really impacts the customer. And, and the art, you know, that's, that's a wide kind of you know, thing because it may impact someone that may want to be inspired. And, uh, but what we found is if it doesn't actually check the boxes of, you know, it's really a, a, a design, we're a design company sort of first, you know, we're a brand first, then, you know, we can't do any of the, you know, great, you know, things to like help, you know, we, that, that stuff, it, it'll never happen. Let me, let me ask a question uh, from a process point of view. Uh, <coughs> about half of this class has never had any exposure to the business model canvas and they're just now getting acquainted with it in this class. And of course, they, a lot of people have either taken the design thinking class or have taken my financial financing and managing small business enterprises. Would you comment on, on what you've learned and, So business model canvas um, saved my life, <laughs> number one, um, because it, it helped not have to do like the full 50-page business plan, but to still have something coherent to be able to communicate in terms of value proposition. And I think that was like the key takeaway. I mean, we we're speaking about the upper right quadrant there with the. Yeah, we're only going to deal with the value proposition, the customer segments, the channels. Relationships, which is basically what he's he's working very hard on with his business right now. Absolutely, I mean the value proposition and the you know just the, the iterative steps, the nature of that is really like aside from the basic mood boards and design, uh, you know, kind of principles that are, are traditional. You know, we've really been able to marry those two to come up with our. Our, our products, our, our positioning, and you know we're still uh, in a process of like kind of expanding on a lot of that. So you know, like really going deep on customer relations. I, I believe that's in the upper right. Um, really like figuring out well, who are we selling to, and like what is what is she doing? What is he doing? Uh, you know, right now, you know, uh, is is he getting coffee? You know, is he you know, walking, you know, the streets of Paris, is, is, is she, you know, uh, is she in Africa right now, you know, is she boarding a flight, you know, like, what, what are, what are their concerns, what do they want to be, like, what is, what is our product going to do for them, like, I think the business model canvas really helped, like, lay out all of those types of questions, and then, you know, kind of with post-it say, you know, this is probably likely, but, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, and, you know, this is the, the whole universe, but like this is probably the things that we can really like impact most and that we're uniquely qualified to really address. Um, so the business model canvas, you know, and, and over in the ODU Innovation Center, they're really focusing on uh, business model canvassing, like basically like weekly. So companies will come in and, you know, I, I mean, you got a table of, you know, just different uh, people from all kinds of backgrounds in business. Um, you know, really like kind of putting forth ideas. Um, so, you know, I, I've seen it from that side. I've seen it from, 
the academic side when I was in uh, Graham's class here. And, um, you know, I think it really, it pushes you to make something too. I think that's, the value proposition is key, but then it like makes you make a product because, you know, we made, I, <laughs> I made a wallet in my class out of, uh, I think I had Velcro and like, or something I don't know <laughs> but I but I made it and um, you know it but it, the process kind of forces you to take action which if you're starting a company or you're starting some kind of venture you have to take action at some point so uh, action <coughs> Pardon me. what types of customer feedback do you get do they comment on the product they give you suggestions yeah yeah so our customers reviews <laughs> are all actually displayed on our website now and we have an ongoing like carousel of just you know customer feedback and I think customers like the product because it's different that's what they tell us like they're not it's not a cookie cutter product you know it's not mass-produced in uh, somewhere that they don't know and um, they know about it just want to make sure this is still going sorry and they know where it's coming from they know the origin they can trace the story um, you know they can engage with the company so these are all the things that you know I think a lot of the customers are looking for uh, and that they've actually said um, you know we're still like really small the sample set so it's we're getting to a point where we're gonna start having statistically significant data to really um, kind of back up a lot of the you know research but um, you know, I think people want truth now. They want transparency. Um, you know, they want fun. You know, they want something that comes with an experience. It's not just a bag. It comes with an experience. It comes with uh, some social currency. Um, people want to be a part of something bigger than, you know, just themselves. And, um, you know, that's what we try to provide for them. Other than travel down to Haiti, how much time do you typically spend on the road? And how many trade shows do you typically go to in a year? Yeah, so um, as far as being on the road, I'm actually not on the road as much as you know you might imagine, or maybe I would have imagined that I would have been. Um, I will go on an as-needed basis, so there's a really great opportunity in New York in the coming weeks that I will go, right? And But I'm not like, uh, I'm not just like going just to go. We're not in wholesale, so we're not doing trade shows. Um, I've done that before though. I've, I've been to Magic, I've been to Liberty Fairs, I've been uh, to Bread and Butter in Berlin. I mean, I've been to uh, lots of trade shows and um, you know for us it's really more um, you know working on design working on uh, the product working on uh, you know the online store um, you know recruiting uh, strategy uh, finance and uh, you know pretty much getting ready for holidays that that's kind of how I'm spending most of my time now I'm, you know it's like I'm doing a lot of different jobs and like I say I'm marketing and growth sales so you know I'm you know working now on our site a lot that's really taking you know half of the time is the site the other half is you know kind of focusing on inventory so, so staying out of the wholesale 
Exactly. Yeah, for now it's, you know, I think that wholesale is really interesting because it's so traditional and it's been such a good way to grow. Companies have you know, done really well with wholesale and I think for where we are right now, we just have a good way of bringing customers into our world and, you know, we can sell you a product when you're ready, you know, like you, you don't necessarily want me to be like standing over you telling you, hey, this is the best thing you know, you, you want to explore, explore and like, you know, see us in Forbes or see us in Fast Company, read the article, come to the site, browse, you know, come back to the site, browse, shop. Now it's a gift idea. You know, you're, you're headed to a, you know, a conference and you really want to, you know, impress someone. Like, that's really like the customer journey for us where, um, for my time, you know, I'm kind of focusing on like, being an architect in that world and like, but I'm also the Mason because, you know, I'm actually executing a lot of the brand exercises and the brand stories and, you know, finding creative people that we can collaborate, collaborate with and, uh, you know, kind of tie in and, and, you know, figure out, well, well how do we help, uh, you know, put more of a spotlight, for example, you know, on the artisans that actually made the product. So um, that's how I'm spending a lot of my time now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, first and foremost, I mean, Amazon is, you know, the best e-commerce store in the world, and what they do is incredibly, uh, you know, remarkable, uh, unbelievable, and it is on the other end of the spectrum of kind of where we are right now and what we really are out to, to create. Because if you think about it, what they deliver is, you know, speed, quality, Price. Like you can get all of that fast and it's no emotion, it's commodity, you know, like, I mean, I, I, I'm a customer, like I, I buy stuff like that I need like, like that. But when it comes to making like an emotional connection, uh, fashion, there really hasn't been, you know, a really good sort of like collaboration point there. Now, if you're a bigger brand and you're just you're blowing out inventory and you're just you know you're exhausting it like it, it's probably a good um, resource for you um, but excuse me in, in our world I mean we really want to own the customer relationship is another thing that they're standing in the middle of that transaction and you're not owning that customer relationship so you know we just feel like we have a great opportunity on our site or even offline if we open into our own stores like we would invest there to let customers come into our showrooms and touch feel you know see oh this isn't you know this doesn't feel like a plastic bottle it feels like a regular bag or it feels like a regular shirt um, and so for now you know I think we just have to keep learning from what they do you know Walmart as well has really been a great e-commerce player you know, they've done some really interesting things recently by acquiring Bonobos Pants, one of the largest men's pants retailers. Um, you know, and like this deal, I think that deal was announced on the same day as the Amazon acquiring Whole Foods deal day. Um, you know, and that's a sign that the new companies and the new school is really like buying up the old school because some, someone said it was 
200 some million dollar valuation on Whole Foods the day Amazon launched and it really should have been the reverse acquisition not you know Amazon so I think we keep an eye on it you know and without kind of rambling on too much about Amazon but um, I, I yeah I think uh, I think we'll be okay kind of going going the direct route so when you build your business model canvas you have a target customer segment so now that you have some information, you have some customers, have you seen that your customer segment is on track, or you did you find any other segment that is interesting? You know, it's interesting. So before this, I was doing leather goods, and I had a leather goods retail business, and it was custom. So I could take briefcase, backpack, messenger bag, and I'd make it you know, with your initials. And I had a set of customers that was already you know, engaged with me from that. And I was kind of thinking, well, you know, that would be part of our initial customer profile. Um, and I think it's just been interesting to see how a lot of the customers have migrated into the new products that we offer. Um, I think the more we're able to do with analytics and really, you know, dig, dig into Google Analytics uh, overview of the behavior, if you ever go on the panel, you know, I'll nerd out on, on Google Analytics for a minute. You go into behavior and then you go into the overview and you look at your acquisition and your referrals and you're looking at you know, other sites and interests uh, that your traffic and your customers are coming from. Like, you know, I think that it, you know, the data doesn't lie. It'll tell you like, what's happening, it'll inform you. Um, you know, just looking at bounce rates compared to uh, you know, kind of what core like targeting you would think you know for example like just the warm weather states you know like I didn't necessarily have that in the initial customer profile but now like it's really becoming you know reasonable that you know hey you know they're out there they're getting you know they're getting products they're traveling they're going they're going places so um, it's evolved is really you know the That's answer I think we're still targeting the same demographic that we, we imagine. I think, you know, it's still a millennial, it's still someone that is checking, you know, this thing uh, 70 times a day, you know, it's someone that's really living here, you know. Um, someone that's looking for an easy online purchase, someone that is generally more on the savvy side, you know, a little bit more likely to be savvy than not savvy when it comes to technology. So um, I think we've really refined that a little bit more. You know, it's, it's always been more women were interested in what we were doing than men, although it is more of a unisex product. Um, you know, I think there's just like more, uh, there's, there's more openness to what we do um, when people discover us like through digital channels. So I think that the target audience has really been the same, it's just, now we're starting to go deeper into it, and you know I'm, I'm excited to to continue to to you know create a customer journey for new customers, uh, like as we get closer to the holidays. Um, I see that you have the bag inside the shirt with the new thing. Are you thinking about more products like smaller bags or anything like that since you rolled out the? Yeah, we we actually are rolling out three new products for holidays. We are looking at 
expanding the line. I mean, we, we've been taking the notes from like Tesla and just companies that do one or two or three things really well and just expand from there. And even bad companies, you know, some smaller ones, like, you know, like they start with a few things, you know, we, we really like what like Warby Parker or Everlane, like the things that they do, like they started with, you know, just one thing or even just before that, when you think about Zappos, like they wanted to do shoes, you know, Amazon, they wanted to do books. So if we can just do like a couple things like really well, that'll open us up. We now have a better relationship with, um, you know, just different suppliers and partners so that <coughs> the prototyping phase is not gonna be as long or as expensive as it previously had been when we were just starting. And it still is like prohibitive, but um, now we're in a position where, you know, we can start to think about collaborations. Like we have collaborations in 2018 that are already like focused on other items. So we're definitely gonna be expanding and, uh, you know, growing the, the store online and Know, offering new products but yeah shirts are new and uh, you know we're excited about that we we start with crew necks we have v-necks as well v-necks will launch uh, in a few next few weeks um, you know and then we're gonna move into some other um, like straight female items basics and we basically want to be a basic company um, but a sustainable basic I know you mentioned Schroeder's kind of like dominated conversation with Bill Michael. Do you think opening Schroeder might be a mistake? Oh, say, say that one more time. So you talked about opening showrooms, and then we quickly went from talking about online retail, private consumer, and we almost got to like digital handbags for a second. So do you think opening something like a showroom might be a mistake based on the trends you're seeing in the market? I think opening a showroom is a great idea once once you really have kind of gotten a grip on your um, customer acquisition costs and uh, lifetime value of a customer, I think when you can really um, have some intuition into the markets where the digital play versus the offline play, the offline play becomes more interesting because there's just so much upside and uh, you know your, your cost per leads and your cost per acquisition, all that stuff starts to like make more sense in a traditional showroom setting. And I've been in a lot of showrooms uh, recently just to really like feel the experience of what it felt like online to you know what is it like to actually walk in and purchase something or try to purchase something and be told no or you know be told oh we, we don't keep it here you got to get it in a few days, whatever. Um, but I think it could be a great opportunity for us. You know, I, I'm uh, like offline is a um, thing that still exists. You know, um, we know if Tesla or Apple is in that mall, it will be doing well today. Like, and why is a direct to consumer kind of thing. And it still creates an experience for people that go there. So we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to um, you know, offer an offline touch point of the brand so that, you know, customers can 
hear what we're listening to and, you know, smell the smells that we like and, you know, see the, you know, art that we appreciate and, you know, all these little things that, like, it's a little harder to convey that offline. So, you know, we're doing a couple things this summer, um, you know, that will be pretty interesting and in the fall that will be offline and to see the reception of that and, uh, you know, you can look at the, you know, the, the, the brands that are doing it. I mean, I don't know how many stores uh, now, but I'm pretty sure, you know, like Warby Parker, for example, I think they've done like at least 50 stores now offline, you know, if not more. Um, you know, Bonobos had opened several stores, uh, showrooms uh, that just gave them offline presence, you know, and the bet was, you know, customer acquisition online is you're tapping out at some point. So now you go traditional and you, you know, you, you go TV commercial, or you go outdoor advertising, or uh, you go brick and mortar. You mentioned thread, and I see it on each of the bags. Do you have any kind of exclusive brand with thread? And if not, how easy would it be for someone to kind of come in as a competitor and penetrate the market, especially some of these big box stores we're talking about that are buying up supply chains? Yeah, so we're not in any kind of uh, <coughs> exclusive agreement with thread. Uh, it's a great partnership. Um, as far as other part or other like entrants to the market, I think it's kind of less likely just because they've gotten so entrenched in um, you know the warfare that they've been doing for the last 20, 30 years. I mean, if you're a product manager or uh, head of you know design or whatever it is, the title you name it. Um, you're, you're gonna be in a Wall Street window, right? Like you're gonna be judged on a quarterly basis, you gotta put up numbers, and you don't have the time and the patience that, you know, and this is kind of theoretically speaking, but the venture-backed startup or the self-funded startup has to basically see this thing through and play it out. And your messaging has just been, you know, whatever it's been for the last 10, 20, 30 years, and you're, you know, now all of a sudden you're, you're gonna go in this direction. That's not so easy. That's like, that's kind of like taking a really big ship and trying to, you know, make it perform like, you know, a jet ski. You know, like it, it doesn't really work that way. Um, and, and then the desires are, are still, you know, I mean, some people don't see any problem with buying stuff that has like slave labor attached to it, and the same people that don't have problems buying it don't have problems supporting um, an actual supply chain from a business standpoint that has that. You know, we saw what happened uh, with the Ramen Plaza, uh, you know, fatalities years ago. You know, we saw, and, and this story can continues and continues to happen, uh, where um, you know, kind of business principles. <coughs> will come first and then, you know, that we're all kind of like benefiting from what's happening um, in other parts of the world. But I just think that that decision is a, that's a big decision because it's a, it's a financial decision too, you know, so your CFO has to, you know, kind of take a look at that as well and say, wait, what, you want us to spend this much? Like, so I think that from that, from that standpoint, it's uh, it's 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 a difficult thing to do, um, 
I don't, I mean, the world, like our world, I don't think it really works like that. I think you'll see like, you know, you, you'll see newer companies, but then it just kind of comes down to like authenticity and like brand and like what you're actually about. And then the customer can choose, which is a great thing because going back to that previous example, if you couldn't get into the fashion show or the runway show and you couldn't meet the buyer, then that was it. You didn't have, you know, if you don't know whoever's sitting in, you know, the PR uh, power seat, like, you know, whether it's Vogue, GQ, whatever, or if you didn't know who was the buyer at, you know, the top retailers in the world, what were you gonna do? How could you get distribution? Now you can get distribution online. Now you can, you know, create your own distribution. So that'll be my idea. All three at the same time. <laughs> And it's a rising tide too to piggyback on that. Like all ships will rise with the you know, when this happens. Like there's no shortage of, you know, customers or there's no shortage of supplies. Like it's really just kind of a shortage of um, action, you know, and um, so that's how we think about it, absolutely. I'm on the same page. Potentially. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Potentially. It's nowhere near that easy. <laughs> to do that because there's always going to be problems as far as setting up in a new place and I think that fundamentally exists for any company you know jet.com was kind of what amazon.com was you know lacked funding so it sold to Walmart or maybe he just wanted to get an exit so that um, he could go and now he runs e-commerce at Walmart I think 
Yeah, that's always the case, you know. Like, I mean, I worked in banking. You know, what made I worked at Bank of America? What what made us different than J.P. Morgan? Well, J.P. Morgan was kind of looking to bank even more wealthier clients. You know, and that was kind of how they started. Versus, you know, even like Bank of America was still looking for the wealthy clients. So, you know, I think it does come down to like vision. At the end of the day, I mean, Apple. You know. Whatever you thought about Steve Jobs, it came down to vision. You know, they had to bring him back. People have a question about what will happen with Uber. What, what, can the guy come back? Can Travis come back? I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, no one. I mean, I've never been in the commodity copy. You know, I've never been like in, impressed by that as a customer. So I've always kind of focused on, you know, brands that had you know, some authenticity, a meaning that was that we're doing what you know, doing them. And I and I think that if you look at Yeah. <laughs> you could do it, but we would encourage it. You got something to say? Yeah. So I'm I'm Carla. I, I handle sourcing. Um, I work with Hamilton. And I'll tell you like um, I went with him to Haiti. It is Haiti's number one, they're the um, poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So that actually, the infrastructure that, I mean, the resources behind it, there's so much that he probably has not said or is not saying about the resources and infrastructure that people in the investment um, that actually went into setting up those centers. Um, did you mention the relationship like with- Oh um, yeah, no, I mean, we would be here all week talking about all this stuff. Go for it, go for it. So Donna Karen, the factory that he uses, Donna Karen actually, um, built that factory. Um, we went with um, the Clinton Foundation. And so they actually have a team of people that they've hired that they live in Haiti. Like they physically moved from um, the US to Haiti. And um, his chief of staff uh, was actually with us on the trip. So there is, you know, while it, I mean, it's, it's a great product at the end. Um, and I mean, he's doing amazing things but the infrastructure and resources, and not to say that someone can't do it, you can't, but the likelihood of, you know, somebody saying, oh yeah, I wanna go do this, you know, and having that, you know, unless, it's just a lot that goes behind the scenes. And not to say it can't, I'm not saying it can't happen at all, because they actually um, work in other countries um, with the foundation, which to me, I mean, I think, you know, other developing countries t would definitely benefit but I think one thing that he, he um, stuck with, um, struck with me was the vision. You know, like I, if it's not, you know, in me to, and I'm not passionate about it, just to be honest, at the end of the day, um, I don't think it'll do well. You know, so, and, and it's room for, you know, I think that, you know, what Hamilton always teaches me is that, you know, competition is great. You know, it, it helps your company, you know, you stay on your toes as well, but, that's something that if I think that if, as a company, if you know you focus a lot on, then you lose sight and you lose focus as well.